want to talk about God's plan to overcome anxiety from Philippians chapter 4. And interestingly, in a study done in 2019, showed that two out of three people were either stressed or very stressed, either anxious or extremely anxious. And that was before the world got crazy in COVID. So since the pandemic, the numbers reflecting the escalating anxiety through America are through the roofs. The frequency and the intensity of anxiety in America has hit record levels never seen before, especially in the younger generation especially in uh, the, the 17, 15 to, to 25, the, the high school students and the college students, 91% of them say that they're experiencing consistent, significant levels of anxiety associated with stress. So we're going to talk about it this morning here because there's a pathway out of the valley of anxiety into peace. So I want to invite you to stand as we read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading uh, the first verse, the odd, and you read the even. So I just want to tell you that in the second verse, there's two weird names, Iodia and Sintithi. Iodia and Sintithi. So there you won't have to figure it out. Verse 1 says, Is therefore, my brothers and sisters, for whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side and in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. And Father, we ask you this morning, we're so glad to be here, that you would speak to us today through the scripture. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and help us to see what you want us to see from this passage. We pray that as we open the scripture, you would stir our hearts, speak to us things we need to hear, and hear your truth and your word would be buried deeply in our hearts. We need you to be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We pray for a fresh understanding of what we've read here this morning, that you would renew our minds to your truth, that you draw people to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed by saying? So you'd be hard-pressed, really, to find a portion of Scripture that is more relevant to our culture today. If you're jumping in, I just want to remind you that uh, Paul the Apostle is writing from prison to a church in Philippi that he'd started about eight to 10 years previously. And so uh, he's locked up. His life's uncertain. He's on death row. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And so he writes this in verse one, chapter four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So notice, I want to point out something, how uh, incredibly affectionate that he is to them and how personal this is for them. Look, he says, my brothers and my sisters, whom I love and long for, and my joy and my crown. And this is incredibly personal for him. So you see that, that they had captured his heart. And his heart is just enraptured with them. We see the immense amount of love and joy 
and all that he means to them, the, the unique uh, depth in the oceans of affection that he felt for them. He said, hey, he affirms them. It just shows you that affirmation should be a part of church, church culture. So he's affirming his love and his joy and, and how much he loves them. So, uh, and he just pours it on. After saying, I love you, he says, uh, like I long to see you. Now think about this. There he is. He, he's in prison. He's actually under house arrest there. And the church to Philippi was such the object of his affection uh, and in his heart that when he would close his eyes 800 miles away, he would think about, what do I really long for? Do I long to be free? What, what I really long for is to be with them again. And so it's, I think it's easy to give our hearts permission to long for so many things. But Paul's longing was for people here. And I think this is a good test of when you ask yourself, when you have time and you can, you can punch out, uh, what does your heart think about? What does your heart love? What does your heart long for? Where do your thoughts go to? And when you can think about anything that you could do, and when he had those thoughts, it was that I could be with, with my people here. And so what do you long and what do you, what do you long for and what do, you, what do you long to be closer to? And I think there's things that can steal our hearts. And there's a message here because we can allow things to, to creep into our hearts that, that, that we long for that undermine our longing for the things of God there. But he doesn't stop there. He calls them my joy. Literally saying, you, you, are, you are the source of my gladness. You, my gladness is, is, is not in anything but really, but in you there. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you're my crown. In other words, uh, you're, you're my crown, your spiritual success, your spiritual maturity, your growth in Christ, your standing firm. That is my, my crown there. And so notice that the measure of his, of his life and his success was not all about him. It was all about people there. And literally, crown refers then to the victor's crown in the Olympics there. The reward there, they didn't, of course, have gold medals and silver medals then, but they did have a wreath, a crown that they would wear on their head. And so Paul was saying, look, you are my reward for my labor. As I'm standing here awaiting my potential death, it's you that's my reward there. And so Paul then says, and stand firm in the Lord in this way. And I think this is so beautiful here uh, that we need to pause and unpack this a little bit because watch the people that meant a lot to him, his prayer, his hope, his desire, and his dream would be that they would stand firm in the Lord. So the last week when I was gone, because it had a week off, actually 10 days because it's supposed to be in Israel, uh, my family went to Wyoming. And we had a great time there in Wyoming, horseback riding and hiking and fishing and seeing buffalo and moose and bears in the wild. It was awesome. But every morning I got up early and I prayed this prayer, not really even thinking that I was speaking on it, but I prayed this prayer because I had two of my sons there and I would get up uh, uh, from one side of the uh, uh, place that we had rented to the other side where my two sons were. And I, and I would stand there every morning and I would just sort of, uh, their rooms were there and kind of raise my hands and I would pray for them that they would stand firm in the Lord, that they would walk with God. So, so I'm saying all of that to say this, is that the people that are near to you, like were near to Paul, he's praying for them, like they're his spiritual sons and daughters, that they would stand firm in the Lord. And I just wonder about you. 
about the people in your life, about your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or, or the people around you that are important to you, would you pray this prayer for them? Would, it be, would God so stir your heart that you would pray that they would stand firm in the Lord there? So for people that you know, for your friends, for your family, perhaps in your church, maybe your, your small group or whatever, and so uh, standing firm, stand, standing steadfast in Christ. It's really a beautiful thing here. So I would encourage you uh, to, those that, uh, to those you live around, to those in your relational circle, to those that are important to you, to your, to your family then, that you would do the very thing here that Paul did there, that God would help us to live and to long for, to long for that people would stand firm and steadfast in the Lord. God is my witness how this is my dream and my hope for you, for this church, that we would stand steadfast, immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the things of the Lord. So I long for every attender, everyone watching online, this is what I long for for you. Uh, and my, my prayer is that it would be pervasive in our culture here that our joy would be to see other people standing firm. And so now I want to switch to verse 2 here. And I want you to notice something, giving you a little context here. Paul is going to go from talking about the church. I long for you. I love you. You're my joy. You're my crown. Now watch what he does. Now he's going to focus on two individuals. Because there's a vibe going on that's undermining the whole, beginning to undermine the church here and uh, cause uh, uh, friction and all between these two ladies. Watch, verse 2. I plead with Yodi and I plead with Sintithi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And interesting how Paul stops, Paul punches out from addressing the broader church here, now withdraws from being general uh, about, uh, about, I love you, I long for you, you're my joy, you're my crown, I want you to stand firm. Now he's talking about these two women here. Like this is 911, like this is serious. And he's saying like there's an urgency, he says I plead with you. And I urge you, and he begins to call them out in front of the whole church. Like this letter was read in the whole church. Imagine how that went down. They're reading chapter one and two, you know, and they're like, yeah, you go girl and all that. And then chapter four, I call out Yodia and Sintithia, and they're like, we don't know who you're talking about. You know, they're looking at each other, whatever. But now uh, Paul is addressing people problems here uh, in the church. And so these women are prominent. They're like on Paul's team, on his outreach team there. These are women that are mature. They're in leadership. And uh, I just wonder if they didn't have strong opinions. I don't know. But I just wonder because you would think that if it was anything theological, Paul would have nailed it right there and said, hey, here's, here's uh, your confusion on that. But I didn't say anything about that. And so, but the bottom line is this. Yodians and Tithi, they're not happy with each other. They're not on good terms. Uh, there's friction. There's potential drama escalating here. There's bad blood. There, there's a relational rift that cannot be solved here. So there's something that is just going on between them that rose to the level that Paul heard about it 800 miles away. So Paul now, uh, he's not correcting them. He's not dropping a bomb, dro dropping the hammer on them. Uh, we don't really even have any more information than this here, but... Uh, but he said, hey, you got to work this thing out. And, uh, yeah, and again, I think there was opinions that were coming to expression there. And there's something about people love to have strong opinions. You know what I'm talking about? Like people think they have to have an opinion about, so many people, about everything. Uh, uh, you know, people ask things and have opinions about like, about like hey, will you, will you go to heaven 
uh, if you smoke cigarettes. And I say, well, yes, yeah, in fact, you know, you'll get there faster than <laughs> because you do smoke cigarettes. Yeah, like you'll be on the, have an express pass. So, yeah, you'll get there. You can tell us what it's like when you, when you get there. But Paul says, hey, I urge Eodia and Sintithi to have the same mind in the Lord. And uh, I don't want us to miss this because the names are kind of funny and awkward and sort of weird to pronounce and everything. And not in our culture here. Uh, it could have as, as easily been like Sarah and Emma or Ernesto and Sam. But don't, don't miss the point. Because these women, imagine this. They're getting their dirty laundry aired in front of the church. And for all time here. So there's a point here that's very important for us here this morning. These women, Paul is calling them out, and, and there's some kind of hot mess going on, and they desperately needed to get together. They desperately needed to get on the same page here. And he gives them this directive then to have uh, someone get together with them and help them sort out their issues. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever had conflict like this here, uh, but I've been there. I've been there in church. I've been Eodia. I've had a Sintithi in my life where the relational space that I was in uh, uh, was beginning to, to be undermined and like the church then could have undermined the momentum in the church unless it was worked out. That's what was at risk here. And so it says, be of the same mind. What kind of mind is that? Well, we just talked about the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was the mind? He humbled himself. Have a humble mind. How many people know that when you have conflict, and you, you got to be right. You got to be bigger than. You got to prove yourself. And there's pride there. And you, you, feel, you feel that pride there. But if you go low and you go, humbled and you don't have to, to be right all the time there. And so if you're, if you're a Christ follower then, what you need to know, or not a Christ follower, that what happened to them will happen to us. The dynamic then is the dynamic now. The only, there's, the only difference is 2,000 years have happened if you hit the fast forward button. And, uh, and here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. That where there's people, there will be people problems. Where there's people, there will be people problems. There will be disagreements. There will be drama. There will be arguments. Uh, there will be times you are not on the same page. You will have your opinion. Uh, you will be let down. You're not going to agree all the time there. There is going to be conflict. Relational rifts happen with Yodi and Sintithi and will happen with you and I. People's feelings will get hurt now and then. But most of the time, sometime, oftentimes, when we disagree, we just kind of laugh it off, kind of move on, kind of go back and do life. No, no big deal. But what happens when this happens, Philippians chapter 4, when they can't laugh it off? Yodi and Sintithi, they couldn't laugh it off. You see, what happens when the disagreement then uh, rises to the level of hurt, hurt feelings? What happens then when feelings get injured and emotions get involved, like here? Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? And so, uh, because it's very real. I mean, would you agree with me that uh, 
Uh, because only people who don't experience conflict are called, I'll, I'll give you a hint, starts with a D and ends with a D. Only people who don't experience are called dead. Yeah, they're dead. Okay, Everybody else has, has conflict. So I might ask you this, would you be okay if I gave you a few pointers on how to deal with conflict from this passage? Okay, Three things that could change your life, three things you could use today. Anybody in? Anybody over here in? And on this side, you in? Yeah, okay. And so I was assuming you would say yes, but I've got three points. So here's number one. Here's number one. I already tipped it off. Recognize this about conflict, that where there are people, there are people problems. Where there are people, there are people problems. So when you have, when you're you're around people, you got to expect problems are going to surface. It's an undeniable, inescapable reality here. Where there's people, there's going to be conflict. Like where? Well, in my family, in my marriage, with my parents, with my mother-in-law, as recently as last night, uh, with my classmates at work, at church, in your small group, uh, on worship teams, out there where you sit in relationships, uh, it's going to stink at times. So what do I do? Because it's going to happen. Where there's people, there are problems. So this is what you do. You predecide how you're going to react. You predecide to humble yourself, okay, for future conflict, which includes and will be central to uh, a humbling yourself. And what you have to do is this. You have to lay down the right to be right. I don't know about you, but, but I want to be right. And pride then always wants to be right. Pride always wants to be bigger. Pride always wants to have the, the final word. But see, it says, be of the same mind, Yodius and Tithi. What was the same mind? The humble mind there. And so it says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Humility, which then paves the way to unity. Oftentimes, the behind the scenes there, where there's disunity, there's, there's often pride, and this is my opinion, and this is what I know to be true. And so the third one here is in, found in verse 3. It says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, we know who that is, help these women since they've contended at my side and the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life, I ask you, my true companion. Now, we don't know who this was. But here's what we do know. It was a real person. Bible scholars debate on who it was. And I don't want to bore you with the debate, but they debate on who they were. There's names you've heard if you've, you've been in Philippians here. But it says, my true companion means my proven one, my trusted one, capable one. I need you to connect with these two women because of the relationship conflict that they're having. So one, you recognize people, there's people problems. Two, you recognize, so you got to predecide how you're going to react in humility. Number three is this, get help when needed. Do you, you see, it's, it's obvious what Paul's doing. It's like, they can't work it out. So somebody else has got to come and help them work it out. A trusted confidant, a friend, a counselor. Help these women here. Okay, he says these prominent women are at break point. It's 911. Translations read, 
This is urgent. I beg you to do this here. And so he says, when you're going through something difficult, here's the point. Because we're all going to be here. This is true of everyone in the room, everyone watching online. Say, here's the truth. As when you face something that's difficult like this, and you are Iodia, or you are Sintithi, what can be so valuable and so pivotal and so necessary to help you navigate the conflict is to meet with an outside party, to talk to someone and process it through someone else. So it could be a trusted friend, a counselor, but it's beneficial to talk to someone. So these two women, that's what they needed to do. My true companion, get help these women here. They're stuck. How often are we stuck and we don't know what to do? How often do we have relational rifts there? And so uh, what can happen? In this case, they're prominent. They're visible. It could flow over uh, into the church and begin to undermine the whole uh, momentum and health of the church there. And so Paul calls them out as needing help. And here's uh, all that to say this. God has given us gifted people that have skill sets and they have the training, the experience, the insight, the knowledge to help us, to help you walk through your relational conflict. That's what is happening here. And so they provide a sounding board. They provide a perspective for our lives, for our situation. And so I said, I am Iodia. I want to tell you a story. The story is this, that I was years ago, but I was stuck in a relationship with a very visible uh, leader. And so uh, I was Iodia with a Sintithi, needing help, struggling in a conflict with a leader, and I simply couldn't sort it out. Like I counseled people really for decades, and I couldn't sort this one out here. And so I simply was stuck, and I'd hit a wall. And so what I did is I sought out the equivalent of a true companion, a local counselor. And when I went in there, like one day, I was just like, you know what? I can't figure this out. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm going to call right now. And I made an appointment uh, that week. And so, uh, and I went to see them. And I told my story and immediately just nailed it on the point. Exactly what I needed to hear. And really, I, I was burdened and, and uh I feel like I was, in, I was beginning to get in bondage to the thing here, and it just set me free. The clarity that God was just amazing. Had I not done that, I would have stayed stuck till this day. I would have never figured out here. And here in the church at Philippi, Paul has Yodi and Sintithius as like, you need help. And so I got a true companion to help you there. So maybe you don't know where to start. I mean, so I'm just going to throw out... There are many resources out there in, our, in the Inland Empire, Restoration Counseling, Genesis. You can go online, Faithful Counseling online, awesome here. And so uh, what I want to point out to you next here, verse 4, is your posture, my posture in anxious times. It says, always rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Again, Paul writes these words. Where is he at? He's in prison on death row. And he says, I want you to rejoice here pulsating through his veins here in his being. And he had every reason to be anxious. So now watch, watch. Because you can say, well, yeah, but if you only knew my life, if you only knew my background, if you only knew what I'm going through, 
Well, first of all, I want to point out, it doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. They may stink. It's saying, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. You can always rejoice in him and his plan and his purpose and his character and who he is here. And so Paul then, his life's not turning out how, how he envisioned. His life is interrupted. And now he, he's, in, he's in prison and in a house arrest here. And his passion of public preaching now has been interrupted. And it's like he's on this indefinite pause, and they're just sitting there in a house, under house arrest. And it's facing immense uncertainty. And he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And uh, it's not telling us to rejoice in negative circumstances or a toxic relationship or just bummerism here. Paul's saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, life is tough, but God is good. And God, uh, rejoice uh, not only when your prayers get answered, but even when they don't get answered. Rejoice, uh, yes, in, uh, in the resolution. Rejoice, yes, on Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 here. Yeah, rejoice at all times in all circumstances. Why? Because God's greater than your problem. God is sovereign still. Okay, God has solutions that you haven't even thought of that he can bring to expression here. God has brought you through many of these types of things before here. And he's sovereign, he's strong, and he's overall. And so in him, you can, you can have a posture or a disposition that you can rejoice in him there. Okay, so there's always something about God. There's always something in Christ that you can rejoice in and be glad over. And so this is how you can always rejoice in God, in his character. How about his promises? You can always rejoice in them, that he's bigger than anything you will ever be facing there. And so you can rejoice in, in, in Jesus who turned water into wine, who can calm a raging storm, who lays, raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, who defeated death and is resurrected here. And so and he is sovereign over all. And so here's my position in, an in anxious times. Let your gentleness, verse 5, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, gentleness, it, it really translates your conduct. Watch. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all, to those that are close to you, but those that, that the onlooking ones from a distance, maybe those that aren't convinced, but, but to all here, he says, your conduct, your self-control, it means your fairness here, uh, your gentleness uh, about you here. And so he says, may your gentleness be evident to all, including people outside the faith, including people that are watching you, that are looking at you to see, does Jesus really make a difference? Or are they just, they just like everybody else? See, the, 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 the watching crowd there. And so that if they saw how you lived and it was genuine, they just might listen to what you have to say. And notice what he says next there. The Lord is near. In other words, God is among you. God is present. Like God goes to your church. That's another reason why uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. That he is with you. That he is present. And so Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 then says this. This famous coffee mug standout popular verse here. Promise about peace here that many people committed to memory. Paul continues here and says this. 
about God's plan for anxiety. Here it is. Don't be anxious about anything. How many things should we be anxious for? I know that was a tough question, but it's like, it's, 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 it's right there. The answer is like right there. Okay. How many things should we be anxious for? So, but in every situation, in other words, watch. Rather than panic, which is what we do, okay, it says, lift up prayer. Rather than panic, go to petition here, Thanksgiving, present your request to God. So last week, last week, I was fishing with my son just a week ago today. Uh, or, or, or I'm sorry, it was a little more than, uh, than a week ago. And so um, we were waiting on the Salmon River. And my son's in, I'll just say, one of my sons who's fit and has great balance, and he was out there wading fairly deep in the water. I saw him about this deep, like I go about this deep, you know, then I'm stressing out. He's about this deep. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, ah, it's kind of out there a little, little, little deep, but he's got good balance. So I'm fishing in close. And all of a sudden, I hear, Dad, a cry of distress. And I look up, and his waders are filled with water. And he's in the water to about this high. And I notice there's a rock there, about as wide as a stage. And I said, go to the right. And I recognize, and there was about a 100-yard rapid, uh, just right next to the rock. So I knew immediately either he grabs the rock or he's going to perish in the water. And I threw my, I was out in the water, I threw my fly rod to the bank and I've been running as fast as I could to intercept him. And I'm thinking in my mind, what am I going to do if he's not on the rock? Because I was just, it was so hard to run on the rocks. I couldn't look at the rock and see him. So I ran for about, I don't know how long it was. Uh, it seemed like forever, but I ran for maybe 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. I, I, I couldn't remember. But I'm thinking in my mind, what am I going to do if he's not on the rock and he's caught then in the rapids? And I knew that meant there's no way you could survive the rapids because he was like this. And they were fast rapids. And I'm running. Uh, and, and I look at him. And he's, and he's hovering. When I stopped, he's hovering on the corner of the rock. And uh, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Well, I didn't have time really to, to react or anything. But just lift up a prayer while I'm running. And then he's, he's caught on the rock there. And I figured out how to get out there in the, in the, under the rapids there uh, to make a long story short. Uh, I got all his gear, and I grabbed him there. There are times in life where, I mean, and I knew that, and I told him, I said, you were two feet from dying. You were two feet from dying. He, he was this far from the rapids, it would have swept him away. I, talk, I talked to, to uh, uh, a, um, a Forest Service guy, and he said, yes, people there, they, they, they get caught, they end up at the end of the river. And so you, you reach points, you know, uh, where maybe not that dramatic, but uh, where either you panic or you pray. And so um, anxious means this. When it says here, don't be anxious, 
It means this, don't let yourself be caught up in a perpetual state of anxiety. Not that you don't ever bump up against something, but a perpetual, ongoing, continuous state of debilitating anxiety. That's the point here. In other words, you can live a life that's free from perpetual anxiety. Don't be perpetually anxious about anything. Really, Paul? People think that, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that sounds unreasonable. Uh, I'm a worrier. I just live in that space here. I can't quit worrying. Well, I beg to differ that there is a way that you, you can overcome that, not be perpetual anxious. It literally means this, the word anxious. It means to be troubled. It means to be tossed back and forth. It means to be pulled. Where you're just pulled in every direction. That's what it means when, when you have that unrest of anxiousness. And you may be here and you say, well, like, I've got my PhD in, in, the, in anxiety and worrying here. And uh, I like, I, 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 there's certain things I excel at, and I excel at worrying. And so, uh, so there's things that cause some, some anxiety, okay, but it's not a perpetual state of anxiety. Where maybe you have anxiety over, uh, over your lost job or maybe an interview coming up or a big test or decision about the future, financial burden, uh, a big move, an injury, upcoming surgery, the C word. Uh, so, but, but what about anxiety uh, that it's not supposed to do? Don't be anxious, perpetually anxious about anything. Now, I want to point something out that I submit to you is almost always missed. Even if you heard this quoted most, I want to submit to you something that I think is almost always missed because this is not a standalone statement. It's connected to the verse before it and the verse after it. And so this is not a standalone statement, but rather watch, it is a response to the reality that, watch, what did we just read? The Lord is near. God is near Therefore, you don't have to be anxious all the time. The little statement that precedes it, the Lord is near. Because the Lord is near, you don't need to be troubled and tossed and pulled apart perpetually. God is with us. God is in those situations that you feel fearful and uncertain. He's near when there's self-doubt and uncertainty, and uh, which is a lot more real and tangible than his presence. Your fear, your reality, your anxiety, so much more tangible than his presence here. But remember, the Lord is near. And so we can experience times of uncertainty and anxiety that is marked by a deep-rooted knowledge and awareness that the Lord is near. He is with us. We are held firmly in his grip. No matter how uncertain it feels here, we can have peace then in all circumstances, okay, uh, when things are not going well, not just when prayers get answered, but when they go unanswered, right in the middle of your uncertainty, in the middle of your difficulty, your trust is firmly rooted in God's character and God's promises there. And so I'm going to begin to wrap up with this. Look at what the Bible says about God's promises, Joshua 21, 45. Let me just kind of read these and speak these over you. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God's word is trustworthy. Let me read you a few promises. He will never leave you or forsake you. He'll be with you wherever you go. He will direct your steps and make your path straight. He will give our souls rest in him. 
we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Watch this. He'll work out all things for the good to those that love God. Nothing will separate you from his love. He will listen to those that call upon him. He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when we take our worries to him. And so be sure the promises from God's word speak truth into your anxiety in every experience of your life. And so I wonder which one of those promises resonated with you. I wonder which one of those promises you need to build into your life, that you need to hang on to. Perhaps that the Lord is, is with you. And whatever you're going through, uh, uh, to recognize that, to be a, let it be an anchor to your soul. John says this, that when you, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But watch, watch. But you got to know it. If you don't know it, it can't set you free. There's no benefit if you don't know it. It has incredible power to set you free of the things that, that weigh you down and bondage and all. But you have to know the truth here. God's word is full of truth that will set us free from what? Set us free from fear, from anxiety, from being enslaved to sin here, free from thinking that we have to earn his approval. Uh, so the truth will set us free here, free, free indeed. And so, but you got to know his truth to experience his freedom here. So I close with this. The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. It says this. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't hit the panic button. Rather than reflexively hit the panic button, no, hit the prayer button. So in, in, in just some situation, no, in every situation. In other words, if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. By prayer and supplication, and then also with thanksgiving, make your request to, know, to God. Now, request means the original language Specific request here. It, speak, it literally means itemized requests that are specific concerns that you have. The more specific, the better with God. The more specific, instead of giving into your anxiety, you offer up, watch, a specific prayer about the specific anxiety. Then you go to the next specific anxiety and offer up a specific prayer. And so uh, you're having an interview. You're meeting with HR. Oh, Lord, like my interview, I, I, I feel so fearful, Lord. Would you be with me? Would you go ahead of me? Would you give me wisdom? Uh, would you give me your favor? And, and you're praying specifically about whatever the issue is that is causing you to, to freak out there. And so Paul says that prayer is critical to keeping calm in stressful situations. Prayer is critical to finding peace when your heart is filled with worry. In whatever you do, pray. But if you're like me, my long-term instinct historically has been not to pray first. My instinct was to jump in and strategize and figure out how to, how to handle it myself. My instinct is to develop a plan to navigate my way out of the situation. Paul says, though, in every situation, okay, you have a new instinct. I get it. You all probably have an old instinct, maybe a little bit of new, maybe a lot of new, but you'd build a new instinct into your life here. According to the verse, when you worry crosses your mind, you don't have to be enslaved to worry because you're building a new instinct into your life. And so, uh, uh, so think of worry and anxiety like an alarm that goes off 
And the alarm going off then is telling you to pray as 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. So watch. This is something you got to put in practice and you may not be very good at it. It may take a long time to build into your life where you're panic, 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 and then occasionally, oh, I prayed that time. 10 panics, one prayer. You build. I'm just speaking the truth, baby. You with four fingers pointed at me. And so then you, then you grow, and now seven times you hit the panic button, and three times you pray. Then five times panic button, three times, and you keep growing to seven times. I prayed only three times I hit the panic button. See, you practice it. And so this is something you have to put into practice. It's not a one and done. It's not that you're going to be great at it right away. Watch, I skipped to verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Paul said, you got to practice. Keep practicing at it. Pray about everything. Create a place. Create a sacred space. Invite God into your situation there. Do what you can do. Trust him with what he can do. Give to God what you cannot do. And if you do this, the result of prayer and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it's conditional. It is conditional based on the conditions that we talked about. Verse 6 uh, the peace of God, which transcends your understanding, it's greater than anything you can imagine. Supernatural here. God's peace will be released in your life. Huh. What a promise for the day in which we live. Come on, somebody. As the worship team comes up, uh, give God a big hand clap. You stand to your feet. And Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that it's not a peace that's based on circumstances but a peace that transcends circumstances that's predicated on no one other than Jesus Christ himself. Father, there's nothing wrong with circumstantial peace, but the problem is that when something unsettles us, upsets us, a circumstance invades our life, it can steal our peace. And thank you, Lord, that you said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as a world gives do I give to you. Thank you the peace of the Lord cannot be stolen because it's not based on what is happening out there but what's happening in here, in our hearts. And Father, in here the Lord, you said you would guard our hearts. May we begin to experience and live out the peace that passes understanding. God, thank you that you, your peace, can neutralize our anxiety, that God's peace guards our hearts. We ask that this would be true in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.